Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, where we are highlighting, showcasing, and spotlighting great leaders of faith who have overcome adversity, cultivated resilience, and served others in a significant capacity. So settle in and be encouraged by this episode of Last in Line Podcast. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5, verse 7 through 9, and verse 19 through 20. The Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies, on them who hate you, who persecuted you. You will return and obey the voice of the Lord and obey all his commandments, which I am commanding you today. The Lord your God will make you prosper in every work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Harper to Last in Line Podcast. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Better Man Ministry. This is, uh, as he calls it, an iteration of what you know to be authentic manhood and men's fraternity from Robert Lewis handed Chris the keys a few years back. And now he is steering the bus of this ministry that actually builds men, of course, and trains them, builds small group curriculum, helps churches create men's ministries, uh, gives men, as Chris puts it, an on-ramp into their spiritual life and building a foundation to to grow in their Christian walk. Chris has uh, two extended degrees. He's got a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's got a doctorate from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a former pastor. He had been in the pulpit for years, and he will have some confessions about his pastoral experience that you might not see coming. No, it's nothing horrifically catastrophic, but it is something that might be an eyebrow raiser for you and you didn't see coming. So he's very transparent. He's very humble about it, but he's also very convicting about his growth and about where he was missing and along the way. He talks about how he could be a better husband, talks about being more intentional with his kids, talks about really being authentic about wanting to be a better uh, prayer warrior, wanting to grow in his prayer life. And I think Chris is a little harder on himself than he should be, but I, I, it's refreshing to see a man actually be that way and to actually hold himself to a higher standard than anyone else can hold him to. So he is all about building men and cr- creating curriculum. We talk about the three C's of parenting, uh, caregiving, coaching, and consulting. We talk about guys being in a spiritual depression and the church men in the church lacking in areas and not engaging in others uh he calls it ignorance he doesn't call it passivity and we talk about 
um, categories that men lead in, and they're not the ones you want to be leader in. It's the addictions, the anxieties, the depressions. Chris says you can't become what you can't define. So that pretty much sums it up. He is a wealth of knowledge. He is down to earth. He's transparent about himself and his shortcomings. And he is preaching to the choir today here. I'd like to welcome him to Last in Line Podcast. Chris Harper, welcome to Last in Line Podcast. Man, so happy to be with you, bro. Man, uh, I was sort of charged with the task of asking before we get started what what it's like to have a hero in life like Kent Evans. Yeah, you know, it's um <laughs> it's it's at the same time glorious and a heavy heavy weight and a heavy weight but you know what? That's my brother, so he ain't heavy. I mean, I got to I got to carry him around, but it's all right. Yeah, he he would say, yeah, he he talks about himself quite a bit. He would say he's not super heavy to carry. Uh, but yeah, that bar, that bar of Ken Evans is, it, it's a, it's a sliding scale, you know, he raises the bar and then he lowers the bar, you know, so to make us feel like we're doing something in life, <laughs> man, no, well, I, man, so welcome. True, man. thanks for being here. Um, you are the, as you say, chief storyteller, but on paper, it says CEO of what's called better man ministries. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I heard you on Kent's podcast, which is how we joke about that. You guys go way back. Kent and I have probably three year history. We've gotten to know each other pretty well over the last couple of years. And so he's a great man and, and I consider a very good friend. So, um, all seriousness, man, you don't know much about us. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe, uh, you, you we just met all of five seconds ago, but give me an idea what you think a walk away win is for guys listening today. I've got Christian men trying to grow in their faith, trying to grow as dads, husbands, leaders. Give me an idea what you want to maybe overhear guys saying about this conversation. Absolutely. First, let me say, uh, I'm so thankful for Kent. In all seriousness, every time I'm with him, I learn something. And uh, he really is a, a wise man, but he's a holy man. He runs hard after King Jesus, uh, which is so good. And um, uh, I'm just glad to know him. But if I could say one thing I want men to walk away with today is to know that the journey into manhood and masculinity, man, doesn't happen overnight. Um, it's like wind carving stone. But if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, man, it's strong, it's beautiful, it's something to behold. And as men, if we let the Spirit, if we let the Word of God, if we let other men continually work on us, like wind carving stone, man, you'll have something strong, you'll have something bold, you'll have something that's wonderful to behold. So I just want men to know that transformation doesn't happen overnight. It's a long game, and uh, and I'm here for you. Better man's here for you. Uh, to get to, to meet your needs. That's good. I mean, that's, we're, we're starting off on the right foot today then, uh, cause that's the exact vision I had for this talk. So I'm glad we don't have to disconnect. I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, so you're better, you're, you're with better man. Uh, before we get into what that is, I know a lot of guys know what that is, but there might be some who don't. We're going to go into some of that, some of your background, some of the leaders you kind of grew up with and mentors you gleaned from and learned what real leadership was about. But before we do it, 
We're going to have some complete the sentences for me. I'm going to have you complete the sentences, and this is going to be you talking. So I'm going to say the, the sentence. You're going to finish it for me. So here, let's start with a, a softball here. I could be more intentional in the area of. Oh, fatherhood, spending time with my children. Absolutely. Have you, I mean, you're obviously better than maybe you used to be, but do we ever even get there? I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you, how do you quantify that you're better at it today maybe than yesterday? Yeah. I know this, you'll never, you'll never regret spending time with your kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just with John Tyson not too long ago, the, you know, pretty famous pastor, author, and he wrote Primal Path. He wrote Intentional Father. And I said, John, I said, man, what's one thing I could, I can glean, you know, I want to, I want to be intentional with my kids. And he said, Chris, when my kids were younger, he said, I said no to almost everything, mm. every speaking engagement, every, every opportunity to write a book. He said, I said no to almost everything. And that still wasn't enough. He said, you cannot spend enough time with your kids. And um, man, so it's difficult balancing what God's called you to ministry and then loving and serving your family well. You know what, better man, we 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 ask, um, how's the ministry going? Or if someone asks us how the ministry is going, uh, we try not to talk about better man first. We try to talk about our families, our marriages, spending time with our kids, because that's our first ministry. So if you, brother, if you come to the better man office, if John comes to the better man office and says, man, tell me how ministry is going. Uh, the the guys that I co-labor with, I hope that they start to talk about their families and their marriages and their parenting first, and then they'll tell you about Better Man. So um, do you ever get there? I don't think so. I don't think so, but I know it doesn't happen by accident. I know being intentional with your children isn't something you drift into. It's mm. something you have to plan for and strategize for, and I need to be doing more of that. Yeah, and I bet you would also co-sign the fact that to be – who they need us to be. We also need to work on ourselves in certain aspects, physically, spiritually. We need to get alone with God. We need to chase after him in our own way and physically become capable and protectors, providers so that we, we can be all uh, that we need to be to them. But yeah, intentionally means to me in my life, I've got to pencil it in. Like I gotta, I gotta get a schedule. I gotta write it down. I can't just hope it comes to me right in the afternoon. Oh, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure I'll get to that. One of those things that doesn't work. Like you just said, no. it's, it's not going to happen automatically. Um, all right. How about this one? Uh, three keys to biblical masculinity are for us to, I should word that better. The three keys to us being a picture of biblical masculinity are so the first i think is look to king jesus because he is we don't have to redefine or reinvent biblical masculinity god's already defined it and then he gave us the ultimate picture in his son king jesus so the mm -hmm. first is to look to jesus the second is to courageously follow god's word um, that's what adam failed to do that's why we're in this mess so the second would be to courageously follow God's word. And then the third, I think, is to is to serve and love others. Consider others as more important than yourselves. That Philippians 2 mindset. So if you can, if you can look to Jesus, courageously follow his word, and then consider others as more important than yourself, man, I think you're winning. 
how you doing there? How you doing on all three of those? Buddy, it's a, it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's a work in progress. I know you're going to say that if you could have said anything else, I would have probably had to maybe raise the flag on, on Colin malarkey on that one but no you're you're right at home though i mean all my you know guys that listen and guys i know and hopefully many many christian men would say the same thing because yeah we are a work in progress and and we don't get there until we get home obviously but um how about this one i don't know if you're a granddad or not but i know you've got kids so are you a grandfather too i'm not i'm 41 Don't, don't put that on me yet Okay, 41. All right. Hey, there's some that are younger than you that are grandparents. All right, here we go. I look forward to the day when. Oh, I look forward to the day when I can see Jesus face to face. And I know that sounds trite, but I just I I just looked at my wife at the beginning of this year. I rode over in bed, looked at my wife and said, Man, I I said, I'm a little sad. And she said, Why? I said, I was hoping this was the year King Jesus was going to come back. And, uh, man, I can't wait to see him face to face. Not as, not as I'm looking through a glass as the scripture says, but as I can see him as he really is. And he sees me as I really am. And, um, I long, I love what Paul says in in second Timothy. He says, he says, I long for Christ appearing. And the Greek word there is crave. It literally translates to crave. He says, I crave for Christ to appear. And, and I think about the verse before that, he says, I fought the good fight. I've ran the race. I've kept the faith. So what that tells me is men who are in the fight daily, man, they can't wait to be with the King. And, and, and I think about some of my brothers that have went over to serve overseas, right? You ask Mm -hmm. any soldier who's overseas serving, man, Mm -hmm. what do you want more than anything? They'll tell you, man, I want to go home. Yeah, You know, I want to be home. And, and as a Christian, man, I, that's, that's what I feel like, man. I'm hearing this good fight. I'm running the race every day. I'm fighting against sin. I'm trying to kill the old man inside of me. John, I, I tell people all the time, every day, Chris Harper has to wake up and he has to drown the old man of death. He's got to put that guy to death. The problem is he's a hell of a swimmer, bro. I'm talking Mike Phelps level. Like I got to drown that guy. <laughs> and, and, and man, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. And, uh, you know, that's a long answer to a short question, bro, but I can't I can't wait to see Jesus, bro. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Uh I think I said something along those lines this week to my wife riding in the car. I, I some I'm sure it was some news story that came across that just you know, one up to the one before that, which it seems like every news story now is turning the other one on its head, but I just looked at her and I think I said is he coming back anytime soon? Cause I think I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we can't fight all these battles and and all we can do is pray and really just try to lead by example. But ultimately I don't know that it's going to get better until that day. Right. We're, we're there. It's prophecy at, at work. That's right. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, here you go. Here's another one. If I could give Christian men one piece of advice, it would be. Oh, so good, man. If I could give Christian men one piece of advice, I would tell them to read the word, to know the word, like as Paul tells Timothy, to deposit the word deep down into inside of you. There are too many men, bro. I, you know, I get to travel the country. I travel all over the world and I'm just meeting 
scores and scores of professing Christians that are biblically illiterate, man. They don't know the word of God. They don't know the promises. They don't know the hope God has for them. And, and there's going to be times that their children and their family and their neighbors are going to need a word. And they're going to reach down in the bank and it's going to come out insufficient funds because there's nothing in there. Yeah. Man, if I could tell men today, one thing is, is stop being biblically illiterate. Um, you know, know the word of God. The, the American Bible Society produces the state of the Bible every year. And it's basically a study on, on who's reading the word, who knows it. And year after year, man, the, the person that knows the word the most is the 70-year-old grandmother living in backwoods, Mississippi. She's the one that knows the word of God, man. Like, like if I'm on Bible Jeopardy and I got the million-dollar question, she's my phone call. And, and there's too many men sitting on the sideline when it comes to the word of God, man. So know the word of God and believe it. Believe it. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I, I'm on board with that. I, I, I've heard people say this, and, and I kind of halfway agree with the way they verbalize it. But it says, "Have the word in you when you don't need it, so that it's in there when you do." And I, I don't know that there's ever a time you don't need it, but it, yeah. you know, for the sake of the point it makes, I mean, it's got to be in there for it to be able to come out of of there. So, um, you're right. We've got a lot of cultural Christians, I think, and then we've got we really need kind of a. Uh, need to up our our game in the level of, of biblical Christians that we actually have. Um, all right, last one for you, and then we'll get to the the reason you're here. I guess uh, I guess we'll get to the serious deep stuff um, at some point. All right, how about this one? God is working on me most in the area of yeah, patience without hesitation. Dang. Just patience, man. I've got four kids under the age of eleven. Um, you know, I'm a homeschool, we're a homeschool mm -hmm. family, we do a co-op, mm. um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to lead well and, you know, what's probably the largest men's organization in the country. And I don't say that with false humility or anything like, I mean, it's a struggle. Um, and, and I want change now. I want it. I want to take ground now. You know, I want my kids to obey now. You know, I want my house to be in order when I get home. Like mm -hmm. I'm just so impatient and that impatience manifests itself in me not being gentle, me not being kind, me not being understanding. So, so lacking that one virtue leads to just a plethora of sin. Mm -hmm. And man, I wish, I wish the Lord would just continue to give me um, patience and opportunities to be patient, but that's, that's one area I need to grow in. Yeah, he won't give it to us, but he'll definitely put us in opportunities to to show it. And it sounds like right. we both have them regularly. Opportunities. How old's your oldest? Eleven. Oh, you said okay, eleven. Yeah, so I've got four, but my youngest is fifteen. My oldest is twenty-four, uh, oh. seventeen, twenty-two, in between. And 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 I'll, I'll ask you this: I didn't plan to ask this, but going forward, you know, as they get older, how do you draw the line? between over training your kids because you want to train them right you want them to have life skills be competent be responsible but then you also have grace for the fact that they are going to miss it they aren't going to know certain things that maybe they should know because i found myself kind of always looking for those teachable moments to a fault you have any yeah. ways that you hope to be as they get older in that along those lines 
Yeah. So I look at it. I look, I, so I'm, I'm old school Baptist. So I, I alliterate everything. Alliteration's my friend. So I love it. Yeah. I call, I call it the three C's, right? So from the time they're born to the time they're, you know, probably 11 or 12 years old, like, like I'm really caring for them. I mean, I'm a caregiver, mm-hmm. you know, without me, they're going to die. I mean, I got to feed them. I got to bathe them. I got to put a yeah. roof over their head. I mean, that that's my role. And then about the time they turn 12 to about the time they're 18, maybe 2021, 20, I really look at myself as a coach. You know, I'm trying to train them up, trying to equip them, trying to coach them, send them off in the right direction. And then, and then by the time they're in the early 20s, mid 20s, you know, I really see myself as being more of a consultant. Um, so I'm going to go from I'm going to go from caregiver to coach to consultant to where hopefully they've got enough in them to where they can make wise decisions. But when it gets tough, when it gets dicey, they can come back to me and ask my advice, ask my opinions. You know, mm-hmm. if, if if you were to ask me what what's what would be a great honor 10 years from now, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years from now, when my daughter is 22 years old. It would be an honor that if she that if she actually cared about what I thought, you know, if she came back and and asked me my opinion and and really saw me as a consultant in her life, and then I think you're the consultant to the day you die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speak wisdom and 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 that's what that's what I would say to the men listening. That's real good. I would say that middle piece, that coach, is where I think I I probably if I was to go into the film room and watch tape. I would probably pick myself apart in some of those areas of micromanaging as yeah. the coach, picking out every little block they missed, right? Or every yeah. little pass that was incomplete instead of the all maybe some of the things they did right. Just because I was so laser focused on coaching them in every area and training them and making them that capable, responsible, you know, contributor to society once they get into that 20s. So I don't know. Maybe I'm a little hard on myself, but I think it may be, maybe I was a little overbearing in that way, but um, no, that's, you, I, I, I think that's a lot of men. I think that's a lot of men, you know, and, and a principle to remember is a part of coaching is allowing them to fail and creating yeah. a safe space for them to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, I, t- I, I, I tell my team at better man all the time. I've got, I've got two, two definitions for leadership, right? First, um, leadership is basically failing at a rate your people can absorb. Mm. It's failing at a rate your people can absorb because we're all going to miss, man. We're all going to miss a tackle. We're all going to miss a block at some point, mm-hmm. right? You you own the losses and you give away the wins. I mean, that's the posture we try to take. And then second, leadership really is is taking initiative for the betterment of others. It's taking initiative for the betterment of others and and man, if I can, um, you know, during those coaching years, if I can practice that and help manifest that, you know, we'd be in a good place. That's good. I like it. Thanks for unpacking that and maybe, maybe let me feel a little bit more off the hook than I was feeling. I appreciate it. All right. Give us a little bit of background. So, you know, you, you, you grew up, you just mentioned grew up kind of, I guess you grew up Baptist. I mean, did you grow up a believer? I'm maybe, maybe I'm the wrong assumption, but take us through some of the, younger years like high school college and and then maybe before you got into better man professionally but kind of take us through and help us see behind the curtain on on who chris harper is yeah man i um i grew up backwoods kentucky man i'm a nobody from a from a nowhere town Mm. Uh, love it though man there there were some things i learned from kind of that backwoods life 
things like loyalty and things like hard work that that are missing today from a lot of people. So I don't um, I don't resent or I'm not, you know, ungrateful that I, I grew up like that. But it wasn't easy. It was hard. I had one brother who died of a drug overdose. You know, that stuff is real when you're when you're from the holler. Mm. Uh, so I couldn't wait to get out. Turned 18. Um, the Lord blessed me with with I've always been a student. I've always excelled at school. And the Lord really blessed me with that. So uh, went to college, went to grad school and was about to go to law school um, when I had asked a friend of mine from grad school. You know, I was 26 years old, 25, 26. I'd asked him, where does hope come from? And he told me I should come to church with him on Wednesday night. And I said, man, I'm not interested in that. He said, there's free Chick-fil-A and college girls. And I said, that I'm interested in, man. So so I went to church for the Chick-fil-A and for the girls. And that's where I learned that my hopelessness came from my separation from my maker. That mm-hmm. not only had I rejected God, but I wanted to be God. Mm-hmm. And um, and my sin had separated me. And there was this man named King Jesus who, who paid for my sin. And that when I put my faith and trust in him, man, he gave me hope upon hope. And that's where I learned, that's where I learned what hope is, is is trusting in and loving King Jesus. And that changed my life, man. I uh, ended up not going to law school, you know, went to seminary, did the seminary thing. I've been to a couple of seminaries. Like I said, um, you know, school always came easy to me. So I've got a master's from seminary. I've got a doctorate from uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, Pastored a church for a while. So I was a mega church. I tell people I'm a recovering mega church pastor. Um, you know, that, that really did, that really wasn't me. The big church really wasn't my scene. Uh, so I became a church planner. I helped, I helped plant churches on college campuses, did that for a while, worked in Christian education for a while before I, before I came to better man. And, uh, that was a crazy story, man. Just, just getting to better man was a wild story, how the Lord orchestrated that, but, uh, was glad to meet up with Robert Lewis and, and when he told me he was stepping aside from the day to day that, you know, they were looking for a new president and he thought it was me. I mean, it was just a huge honor. It was a huge honor to be able to, to build on the foundation he had laid at men's fraternity and then authentic manhood and better man. We're, we're just an iteration of that. Mm-hmm. So, so it was men's fraternity. Then it became authentic manhood. And then in 2018, we reiterated, to, to reach millennials, gen alpha and gen Z. Mm. And that's really who better man runs after. So for Robert, Robert to kind of hand that over to me, man, it was an honor. Uh, and it's, it's a big responsibility that I don't take for granted. That's, I mean, that's great. And I was, I was noticing that. Um, so before I heard you on Kent's podcast, I really, I wasn't aware of that. I, you know, I guess I've just had my head down raising four kids and coaching, you know, competitive travel baseball and, and trying to, and trying to learn the Bible and and love Jesus and my wife. And so I don't know, I didn't realize, but I had, I I was a member of the, the authentic manhood back in 08. When I first moved to Texas, I was a relatively new Christian at the time. Um, and, and yeah, so I don't, you know, Tears Green was at uh, Fellowship of the Woodlands, which is Woodlands Church. And, and he, he was one of the man, the guys that started it there. That's a mega church too. But uh, so I just remember him teaching those. And man, I just thought, this is amazing curriculum. You know, I, I was just kind of blown away by it. I, I was new to the faith pretty much too. So the fact that you're a part of 
kind of that lineage and and now you're the guy, which you won't claim to be the guy, I know, but that's impressive. I mean, that's when I think of Robert Lewis, I think of wow, that guy revolutionized men's discipleship and men's fellowship and curriculum for stuff like that. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, tell us. Tell, I mean, if you want to tell us how that happened, you said it's a great story. I'd be kind of remiss to gloss over that. I mean, unless you think it's a four-hour story. No, no, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to. I, you know, so uh, about two years ago, um, you know, I kind of walked away from pulpit ministry just because I didn't think I was a good shepherd. My heart wasn't in it. You know, I was building my platform more than I was building Jesus's platform. So I didn't pastor a church for seven, eight years. Um, because I was really just just letting the Lord deal with me, deal with my spiritual arrogance, mm. deal with my pride. And uh, about two years ago, I, I, I really felt like the Lord said, okay, man, it's time to get back in it. So I told my wife, I said, hey, I think I'm going to go back to the church. I think, I, I think I'm at a healthy place now um, where I can, I, I can serve and not rob him of any glory. Because I'm a glory addict, man. I, I just am. And, um, so it was crazy, dude. There's a, there's a pretty prominent church in Seattle that, that, that reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, we, we think you might be the next guy. And, um, so I, I met with the elders at Mars Hill and it's called something else today, but, um, I thought, I thought that was it. You know, I, I had idolized Mark Driscoll. I had grown up in the faith in that Mars Hill kind of era. Sure. So I, I told my wife, I said, I think we're moving to Seattle. And my wife and I took a three-day trip, and um, we went down to Austin, and and we the the elders zoomed in, they called in, and we had a good meeting, and we come back from that trip, and my wife looks at me and says, "I ain't moving to Seattle. Uh, the Lord's not calling us there." And man, I really struggled with that. Um, you know, felt like she was holding me back, and I had to go seek some counseling, and I really really had to walk through that. And and she was right though, man. We we have such a good family in, in Texas, a good church, a good community. Our kids love their, their homeschool co-op. Like, like we didn't need yeah. to leave Texas. So, so I called the firm, you know, called the church and said, Hey man, I'm out. You know, you know, I've greatly exaggerated my wife's willingness to leave Texas is what I told him. <laughs> he does uh, not have a witness on this. <laughs> That's yeah. about what it boiled down to. Yeah. 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 No doubt. And, um, uh, they said, they said, man, we really like you. And and they had another church in mind. And I don't, you know, I don't think that pastor stepped aside, so I won't say what it was, but they had another church in mind that, that, that they thought, man, you'd really be great here. And I told him, I said, man, keep my number. If anything comes up, call me. So four or five months later, I'm sitting on my couch. I get a text, just a rando text on a Monday night that said, Hey, have you ever heard a better man? And I said, no. The next text said, have you heard of Robert Lewis? And I said, yeah, that's the guy that wrote How to Raise a Modern Day Knight. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, he wants to meet with you in a couple of days. So three days later, I was meeting with Robert. A couple of weeks later, meeting with the board. And about a month later, took the job. And uh, I mean, and it's been <laughs> when you know, you know, right? That's right, brother. Uh, so you're saying there's hope for someday if I get a call that says, Hey, do you know who Chris Harper is? And I say, Yeah, yeah, he's gonna meet with you in two days. That's I'll be right, like, bro. Okay, all right. Just tell him I accept. Uh, you know. Well, I you know, 
talking about some of that transition period for you, because obviously, you know, away from the pulpit, then sort of thinking you were going to Seattle and then, you know, bought in almost hook, line and sinker. Uh, and then to that, give somebody that's listening that might be in that transition period, you know, what are some things you learned about yourself maybe, or just about dealing with that process of transition and understanding, you know, what God's saying when he's saying it, and then how you carry yourself in that season. Hey, gentlemen, I want to take a quick break from the conversation with this amazing guest and let you know that I have recently um, finished a spiritual warfare resource that I wrote. It's a handbook, a guidebook, uh, a workbook, short, sweet, compact to the point, just barely over 100 pages. But it's for people who know about the spiritual battle that we engage in every day, the people that are looking to get sharper and stronger and more intentional in how we engage that battle. The Bible talks about we fight powers of evil, demonic forces that are in the supernatural realm, and those are constantly going on. So we have a Holy Spirit. We have a God bigger than any of the demons that are out there. And we have the ability to win over that situation. So this resource ought to be able to serve you, ought to be able to encourage you and equip you to move forward. So I encourage you to go to the link in the show notes, pick up a copy of Operation 333, the little black book on strategic spiritual warfare. So with that, back to our great conversation with this great guest. Yeah, for, for me, it was all about leaning on my own strength and understanding. And that's, that's why I wasn't really a good pastor. You know, I, I've never had a moral failure or anything like that. Um, not that there's not redemption in those things. There sure. are, you know, but for me, it was always, um, it was always pride. You know, mm -hmm. I think, and just being completely transparent and, and I think a lot of, a lot of ministers are here today and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, please. I think, I think a lot of leaders, a lot of preachers, they're out there doing it because the affirmation and adoration they get from their congregation is what they didn't get from their dads. It's what they didn't get growing up, and that's where they're finding it. So, man, I love preaching a sermon. I love preaching to a large crowd and, and then everybody telling me how smart I was, how great I was. And um, there, there were complete years of my ministry, bro, that I wasn't reading the word man, I wasn't praying, hmm. um, you know, and I was just leaning and, and God's gifted me as a communicator. He's, he, he's made me winsome, right? I have these natural gifts. And, and the problem was I've, because I was always leaning in my natural gifts and never leaning on the spirit, I was robbing the cross of all his power. Sure. You know, Paul says it's in, it's in our weaknesses that he's made yep. known. Right? It's in our weaknesses that we experience his power. Yeah, I just wasn't experiencing the power of the Lord. I was just experiencing the power of Chris Harper, which was only going to get me so far. And, and, and ultimately that was going to come crumbling down. Yeah. So, I mean, he just gave me enough wherewithal to say, Hey man, you're making this about you and not about me. And, and that's when I stepped aside, you know, my church, you know, I, I love just being a church member now. Uh, but, but my church asked me a few weeks ago to come talk to the young adults and the high school students about yeah. being called to ministry. And, uh, so they asked me, you know, if you feel called to ministry, you know, what would you tell these young people? 
And I said, well, for the next three years, you need to pray about that call. And then you need to have somebody other than your grandmother confirm it in your life. Yeah. That you've been called to ministry. I said, then after that, you need to spend about four years getting trained up. You need to know how to properly dissect the word of God. Like, like that needs to be known. And then after that, I'd spend another three years as an intern learning from a man of God. So before you ever take the pulpit, before you ever um, start leading a church, I'd, I'd spend 10 years, man, wow. knowing this is, this is where God has me. Because I'm telling you right now, the average lifespan of a ministry leader today, whether that's a senior pastor, whether that's a youth pastor, whether that's a bivocational leader, whether it's a parachurch leader is three years. After three years, they're gone. And I don't know about you, man, but I think mm. that speaks a lot about our God and the Bible we profess to believe. Mm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not for it, man. Um, wow. I think we got too many people playing around in the pulpit. I think we got too many people playing around with parachurch ministry. I think we got too many people playing around with the gospel. Yep. And, uh, and because of such, it's, it's, man, it's made the church in the West almost impotent. Yeah. I mean, it's caused us to be weak. Because yeah. we're leaning in our own power and strength, man, and we're not typing, uh, tapping into that power of God, bro. And I was there for seven years, seven years. Yeah, I mean, pastoring large churches, and at one point, I had I had one of the fastest growing church plants in the country. I'm I'm down at exponential with Francis Chan, and and bro, we'd get done, and I'm looking around thinking, what am I doing? Um, uh, did you it, did did you feel like a fraud at any point? hundred percent every day. Really? Every day felt like a hypocrite. And some of that, some of that was Satan. Some of that was the devil. No doubt, man. No doubt. Because, because to some level, we're all hypocrites, right? We're all trying to, to, to live what we profess to believe. The, the, the difference is today I can honestly say, and man, instead of chasing after it, I'm just letting it come to me. And I'm seeking first the kingdom of God in everything. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas eight years ago, 10 years ago, I was seeking first the kingdom of Chris Harper. Yeah. And then if we took ground for King Jesus on the other side, that was just, that was by accident. Yeah. And we and all I, fall short of the glory of God. I mean, the Bible talks about it and and we all will and have, you know, and, and maybe are currently, uh, but so, yeah, I was going to ask you that at the end, because I have a son who just you know, he became full-time pastor, youth pastor. He's a youth pastor. Um, and he's on, he's on staff at our home church. And, and I will say, I feel like, you know, biased or not, I feel like we've got it right. We've got more of an experienced pastor. You know, when I say experienced, I'm saying he's got a little bit of a few more whiter hairs than darker hairs. Uh, but he's very transparent and he's not, he's not about his own ego. And so that's what I'm hearing you say is some of the guys that are coming into the fold, in the last three to five years and, and going forward are into, I'm just going to generalize. I'm not saying everybody, but it's more of a skinny jeans and vans from the pulpit and, and how cool can we look and relevant versus how, how can we adapt to what scripture says? Not how can we adapt scripture to what we're saying? And, and so I think that's happening. And I was going to ask you about the church. So I'm glad you went into that. I was going to kind of ask you how, we got so watered down and how the men in the church almost have become this silent, not even majority, really. I mean, it seems like the women are more, that might even be a statistic. There's more women in church than men, but what, what has happened to the passive flabby sort of flaccid 
Christian man? What's happened? Yeah, so so that's what we spend every day talking about and and, and working on. I mean, that's what better man's about. You yeah. know, we're I, I I say all the time we're not calling men to the church. We're calling the church back to men. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's 364,000 churches in the West. 80% have a functioning women's ministry. Less than 7% have a functioning men's ministry. Mm. Uh, any given Sunday, women women are in church two to one to men. And then the only categories men lead in are depression, suicide rates, alcoholism, mm. incarceration. We don't lead in any spiritual categories. Bible knowledge, small group participation, service. I mean, we get we get outpaced by women. And, you know, there's a few reasons for that. Probably the biggest is the feminization of the church over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. And, and I can't even be mad at the church because all the church is doing is catering to its audience. I mean, if that's all that's showing up as women, I guess that's who I'm going to cater to. Right. And and you almost can't even be mad at them because, because the women are carrying the weight. But what that's done is it's, it's sidelined all the men. And, and, and what better man does is, is we're calling the church back to men. We're helping the church see that. Um, we have a saying, you can't become what you can't define. And, and what happened in the eighties and nineties and early 2000, and, and this is huge. Eighties, nineties, early two thousands, um, Pat Morley, Steve Farrar, Robert Lewis, promise keepers. The whole thing was a fight against passivity. It was fighting passivity. We had a generation of men who knew what to do, but they weren't doing it. So the call was, man, go and do. Today, brother, it's different. We're not fighting passivity. We're fighting ignorance. Mm. We don't even know how to be men. In the 1970s, it was, I don't need a man. In the 1990s, it became, I don't want a man. And in 2023, it's, what is a man? We don't even know what a man is anymore. So, So I believe we have an entire generation of men, specifically young men, who want to be good men. They don't know how. They mm. didn't have an example. They didn't have a model. Most of these young pastors today don't know how to be men, so they're not modeling it. Right. Right? They were never trained. Uh, I've been through two seminaries. They don't teach it. They don't teach biblical manhood and masculinity in seminary. Wow. They, they teach you hermeneutics, but they don't they, they don't teach biblical masculinity. So so I didn't even, I mean, I didn't have a great example of what it meant to be a man. And I'm a, I'm an old millennial. It wasn't until years later, uh, a 72 year old retired plumber with a sixth grade education started to disciple me. Did I learn what it meant to be a man? Really? And, and so, so they just lack the information. Yeah. And, and so better man comes along and says, Hey, we got this simple biblical definition based upon God's word of what it means to be a man. Yeah. And, and, and here's what we learned. If you show a man how to win, they'll play the game. If you don't show them how to win, they won't play the game, which is why most men today aren't in church playing the game because the church hasn't showed them how to win. All the church is asking of men today is three things. Show up, tithe, and help us park cars. That's how low the bar is. And man, we've got to show men something more than that. We've got to give them something more than that. And that's where that's where Better Man is just seeing yeah. crazy success right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a need uh, beyond what it's ever been. I think uh, today, today the call is is huge for you guys. And 
you know, uh, there probably can't be enough of organizations like yours. Um, did you, I was going to ask, you know, you say you didn't have, did, did you have a relationship with your father? I mean, you grew up in a small town in Kentucky. I'm everybody knows everybody, right? Usually the lady down the street or the guy next door can spank the the kids on the, in the neighborhood. Everybody's got free reign to whoop each other's kids. I mean, did you have a good mentor kind of example? Did you have a good father? Talk about your relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. My, I, I love my dad and, you know, I would never, I would never say anything dishonoring, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I love it, you know, but, uh, he taught me some good things and he taught me some bad things. Right. So, so sometimes your environment can crush you. You know, my environment didn't crush me growing up, but it did, it did cause me to walk with a limp a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a spiritual leader. Uh, I don't think he's a believer. You know, my mom was the spiritual leader of the home which has its own set of implications. Mm -hmm. um, he taught me how to work hard. You know, he always, um, he tried to provide for us. You know, we were poor. We didn't have much, but we never went without a meal. You know, we never went without shoes. Um, but, but no, he wasn't an emotional leader. He wasn't a spiritual leader. He wasn't very present. You know, I, I've probably ate out with my dad, you know, maybe twice in my entire life. You know, um, when he was home, he was in the car, he was in the garage working on something or he was in the workshop working on something. Yeah. Okay. He, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just kind of wondered about, you know, what, cause we all have, I mean, nobody's dad was perfect. And I think we can learn a lot of what not to be in certain situations. Even if you had a good dad, I bet there were times where, okay, he reacted this way in that situation. I'm probably not going to do that going forward, you know, because I remember how that made me feel. I mean, my dad was a Marine, uh, captain in the Marine Corps for a long time, and then he became a teacher and a football baseball coach. I mean, just he was a tough dude, the oldest of five siblings with an abusive father. Uh, but he didn't turn out that way. Uh, you know, he had a choice. And so regardless yeah. of where we come from, we have a choice as to what dad we're going to be. But it doesn't change the fact that we might not know the fundamentals of blocking and tackling when we get into that role. Right. And so that's kind of where you're coming in. Like you said, is teaching men the basic mechanics and fundamentals of being what it is to be a man, a father, a husband. Um, you have any advice for guys? I didn't really plan this one either, but just as far as a husband goes, I mean, how do you love your wife better? on a daily basis. Cause that's gotta be on our minds. It's not going to be one of those things. Like we're just getting up lacing our shoes and we're just automatically loving our wives. Like we're supposed to like, how do you practically fold that in mechanically to your day on being conscientious of that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I, you know, I, I look at the parable of the talents on this, you know, most yeah. people, look at the parable of the talents and they talk about stewarding, yeah. um, you know, their gifts, right? Resources, things of that nature. But, but what I would remind men of today before, before that woman became your wife, she was God's daughter mm -hmm. and God has given her to you to steward her. So it's not, it's not going to, and, and this is how I think most men approach marriage. Like when you stand before God one day, it's not going to go over real well. If you look at God and say, here she is, Lord, at least I didn't break her. Yeah. Here she is, Lord. At least I didn't hurt her. Here she is, Lord. You know, no, no, no. God's given you a four talent, five talent, six talent wife. I don't know what she is. 
And by God, like when you show up in front of him, she better be an eight talent. That's right. She better, you better have seven talents. Like if he gave you three, you better come with six. That's right. It's your job to make her better. It's your job to help her be a better wife, be a better mom, be a better follower of Christ. Like, mm. like God has given her to you to steward. Yeah. He is, he is, she is his daughter before she's your wife. And, and, you know, praise God. He's given me a, I mean, he's given me an eight talent wife. Right. And, 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 and when I show up, man, I, I hope to show up with 10 talents and say, Lord, you gave me an eight talent wife. And, and I hope I led her well and served her well and loved her well that that you know we produce 10 talents that's yeah. that's what i would tell men today that's good all right i'm gonna put you on the spot how is she better because of you how is she a, gonna be or is a 10 or 12 talent when she started out a seven or eight how what has chris done to make her that way to this point yeah yeah no, the you know honestly i don't i don't she's not there yet because i i, I haven't done a great job um, you know, I'm trying, um, you know, I don't know why, but I find it difficult to pray with my wife and to pray mm. for and to lead her in prayer. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but that that's not a priority. It needs to be a priority. You know, I do a good job of leading my family in the word. That's, that's yeah. something that I'm super intentional in. So I think my wife would say, you know, you know, I'm married to Dr. Chris Harper and, and I've become a, a, a theologian or, or, a, you know, I'm, I'm more sound doctrinally because I've been married to him. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, there are some ways, man, that I'm not doing a great job. You know, I've just now, I've just now come around to where I'm spending more time at home and giving the kids baths and things of that nature that gives her more time to be with the Lord and, and keeps her sanity. Um, because she, she bore a lot of that early on in our marriage. So, uh, I'm trying to be more intentional at home. Um, I'm trying to yeah. take her away more, you know, uh, it's hard being a, being a stay at home mom of four, right. When there's no yeah. light at the, end of the tunnel, you'll lose your, you'll lose your witness. Yes. Um, so man, I'm trying to every three months, even if it's just taking her away for a day, man, getting her out of the mix for a day and, um, just being more intentional. You know, practicing the ministry of proximity, being helpful. Um, that's Still. how that's how I'd say she's 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 becoming better and more sane. But well, I think uh, you're yeah, I think you're a little hard on yourself because what you're saying makes it sound like you you you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And and I don't think it matters when it happens. I think it just matters that it does. And so Amen. I'm with you, man. It 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 maybe took me a little bit of time to get uh mature enough to steward over that gift that God gave me. I think it was several years that I wasn't mature enough to do it the right way. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm better late than never is what I always say, but you're, it sounds like you're doing exactly what, uh, what he's called you to do with her. Um, man, that, that's, that's a lot of good stuff, man. I don't even, I don't even know where to begin or where to, where to finish up here now. I mean, that's good. I, I will say, if, if we've got guys, cause I know we do, and I, I might even fall into this camp, um, at some point, maybe not right now, but in the past, the guy that feels like he's kind of plateaued spiritually. Um, and I'm sure you see that with some of the guys you're working with in better man, but, um, what's your treatment for a guy? Let's say he's in, you know, he's in the, in the, in the pews every Sunday. He's, he's reading his Bible in the morning, let's say, um, listening to worship music on the way to work, you know, do it, checking all the boxes. 
that guy maybe feels like there is another level or there's something else to this, like spiritually. What do you have for him if he feels a little bit stagnant? Yeah, man, I, you know, my encouragement would be to, to find a way to, to reignite that passion. You know, I think, I think all of us, when we, when we first get saved, man, the miracle of salvation that, that the King of the universe would even, you know, Mm -hmm. accept someone like me, much less share his inheritance with me. Unbelievable. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and, and we're so madly in love with him. We want to tell other people about him. I mean, we can't wait. And I think just like everything else in life, you know, the thing we love the most, we often take advantage of the most. And it almost becomes second nature. It becomes complacent. So the first thing I would say is find a way to reignite that love. You know, um, I think a lot of men are, especially Christian men, they suffer from what Lloyd Jones called spiritual depression. I think a lot of us are in that today because we're just kind of root and routine with everything. And, and I love what Lloyd Jones said. He said, the only way to fight spiritual depression is to stop listening to ourselves and stop and, and start talking to ourselves. And, and he said, speaking the gospel back to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves of how good the gospel is, reminding ourselves of what the gospel did for us to help reignite that passion and that love that we first had for King Jesus. So I would say that. And then, and then correlating with that, man, surround yourself with people who love Jesus. Yeah. I mean, you know, a a coal set on fire is going to burn out after a few hours, but you put that coal with other coals set on fire and that thing will burn forever. Mm -hmm. And so surround yourself with people who are passionate about Jesus and, and rub off on one another. And, uh, you know, the Surgeon General said two months ago that the number one killer of men today isn't heart disease. It's not cancer. It's isolation. It's lonely. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think there's a lot of Christian men, just men in general, that are lonely, man. So so go seek that good fellowship. Find it, man, yeah. and uh, and, and ignite that fire. That's what I'd say. That's good. That's real good. Because uh, I think that's maybe more common, and I'd never heard it put that way, spiritual depression. But I... I think it's more common than, than we think. And I think we're just better at hiding it. Uh, guys that come to church, how you doing, man? How you doing? Oh, good. How are you? Good. That's it. I mean, that's where we go. That's where we live guys. That's our dialogue. Um, and we consider that a conversation sadly. (laughs) How you doing? Good. Me too. Talk to you later. Um, man. All right. So I guess, you know, my audience might be tired of me talking about it. Hopefully not because it's an ongoing situation, an ongoing thing. I just, uh, in the process of finalizing this publishing of a spiritual warfare resource that I wrote, um, kind of a handbook, kind of a guidebook for guys, simple, but really tactical, really practical, man, give us some perspective. And and is that something that you kind of hone in on in your curriculum at better man? Because let's face it, if we get this thing, this spiritual warfare thing, if we can wrap our brains around this battle we're engaging in daily that we can't even see or touch, if we can figure that out, man, I think we're way ahead of the game from people who can't. Is that something you guys focus on or hone in on? Or what What are your thoughts behind some of the spiritual warfare situation? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's real, you know, and and I think we need to acknowledge it. So so I think I, I think we have to be careful, right? 
Mm -hmm. One, um, we can't give the devil too much credit because he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not, he's not God. He's a created being. But on the other hand, we got to remember that he is a lion and he's roaming, waiting for Mm -hmm. people to devour. Yeah. So, so the way I explain it is, you know, the Bible describes two lions. One is the lion of Judah sitting on the throne and the other lion is Roman looking to devour, except he's on a leash. Mm. So Satan's a lion on a leash, right? Yeah. He can only do what God allows. Mm-hmm. So, so from the beginning of time, Satan has told men two lies, and it's the same two lies. Satan's not creative at all. Mm-hmm. The first lie was right there in the garden when he said, you're so good, you don't need God. You can be God. Mm. Matter of fact, the Hebrew translates, you can be as Elohim. Mm. You can be God. And that's the lie he told Adam and Eve. And then the second lie, he followed it up. You're so bad, God can never want you, which is why they're hiding naked and ashamed. So I think every man right now, we we walk this line between these two lies. I'm so good, I don't need God. I'm so bad, God can never love me. And wow. every day, man, I'm leaning to one side or another. I may wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and think I'm so good. I don't need God. And by three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm feeling so bad. God can never. <laughs> want me. Wow. And those are the same two lies, bro, that he tells every one of us. Mm. And, and, and our goal is to keep it down the center, man, to, 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 to remember. Yeah, man, we are, you know, we are loved, loved, beloved sons of the most high King. But at the same time, man, we are sinful and we got to fight that. We got to fight that old nature every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was Keller who said, um, you know, we'll never know how bad we really are, but, but we can never understand how loved we really are either. Yeah. Right. And we got, yeah. we just keep it in the center, bro. And fight those two lies. That's so good. Wow. Been doing this for three seasons and, and I hadn't heard it put that way. And Man, I'm gonna have to play this one back and and print that out or something. I like that a lot. Um, and I still think, you know, obviously Jesus is saying he comes to kill, steal, and destroy the the devil, right? But he's coming, he give life more abundantly. But so he's obviously acknowledging acknowledging that there's an enemy that's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. In whatever way that that looks for you, it could be different than it looks for me. But there is a a demonic force that's out there. Bible talks about it. We are, you know, not flesh and blood, but powers of darkness. And you can look no further than the the nightly news or social media and see that there are demonic forces at play. Yes, he is limited. He does not have power or authority over us, but boy, can he dangle a carrot and boy, can he push a button and boy, can he create doubt? And so, you know, the, the jury, you know, the juries love him. He creates reasonable doubt on a daily basis. So um, I don't know. I, I just, have you ever had an issue where you've attributed maybe a season of just, I don't know if it's adverse, repetitive adversity. And I know you don't want to give the credit to the devil that that was happening because of him. I get that, but it it is a thing. So have you ever had situations where you kind of said, man, this is, this is spiritually demonically infiltrating my world right now. You ever absolutely. have that? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I just came out of one. Wow. You know, I get that better man hires me 15 months ago. And, and, and Robert basically says, Hey, we trust you with the speaking and the writing. So row with it. 
And uh, so the first piece that I had to edit and help produce for Better Man was courageously following God's word. It's a five-week study mm -hmm. on courageously following God's word. That period of my life was the driest I had ever been in wanting to read God's word. I had no desire to be in God's word and I'm editing a curriculum all about courageously following God's word. Not a coincidence, not a coincidence at all, man. And I had every day, I just, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and, you know, finally the Lord gave me, um, he pointed me to the Psalms. Mm. And so, so for like six months, man, I just read the Psalms every day and prayed, Lord, uh, man, give me the desire to love your word. Like it says in Psalm 119. And, um, uh, it was 100% a spiritual attack. Mm -hmm. No coincidence. Absolutely. No coincidence. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, it, cause there's a level of obedience that goes into us overcoming some of those attacks and getting through that and, and forging ahead because you could have just said, ah, I can just slough it off. Devil doesn't have that kind of authority. You know, this isn't, this isn't really spiritual warfare, or you could have said, okay, I'm pressing in, I'm leaning in, I'm getting knee deep in the Psalms and I'm just going to bathe in this. And then, and then, then you start to, I mean, cause that's how we counteract lies is with truth. And really that's all he is, is a professional liar. Um, so lies. yep. Yep. Well, I mean, man, we're going to put some of the the links to, to the curriculum in there and, and how people can get in touch with you. Um, do you have any other, uh, maybe some things that you want guys to know how to access other than your website. Are there places they can go to get even more than, than just what's on that? Absolutely, man. So obviously the website, you know, all of our resources are free. We don't charge for anything. And that's, that's not a bait and switch. There's not like get three weeks in and then you got to, you know, you know, apply code or anything. Your Patreon like code. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's all free. We give it away. Yeah. Um, you know, videos, downloadable resources. Uh, we do have a podcast, you know. Okay. Um, so so the Better Man podcast, we we have a new show every Monday. Um, our Instagram account, Better Man Movement. Uh, we're always trying to put out solid content to help men. And then if you if you go to our website and you um you register, you know, that puts you that puts you in our system to receive our weekly blogs. Uh, you receive a note from me. Uh, I send out a Tuesday encouragement, just trying to encourage men that, that a lot of men across the country find helpful. So, so definitely there's ways to connect beyond the curriculum. Um, uh, just go to betterman.com. It's all right there and check that out. Cool. No, that's good. Are you the host of the podcast? Are you doing it every day or is it somebody else? So Adam Tarno is our host. He's phenomenal. Cool. And then uh, two or three times a month I'm on. And then once or twice a month, we, we typically have a, have a national figure, somebody that, that that's on the national scene speaking about masculinity or manhood. Yeah. Either, you know, recently published a book or, yeah. or, or done this or that, that, that authorities, on. authorities like Kent Evans is what you're saying. That's right. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Right. No, he's amazing. He's been on here like three times. He's going to have to tell me to lose his number. Um, well, uh, all right. Without maybe giving away too much or, or spoiler alert here, but where do you see better man going? Like what's you're a big dreamer, visionary, you're casting the vision, you're providing direction. What, what's, what's next? Like, where are we going with better man? What's your dream? Yeah, we have two, 
we kind of have two trajectories, right? So uh, we just translated everything into Spanish. So mm. we're getting ready to hit Latin America and South America pretty hard. Wow. And then we've got requests for everything from French to Japanese. So that's coming, you know, multiple mm. languages. But but the reality is, man, we're just we're just the top of the the tip of the iceberg right now. And you know, people look at our success and they're like, wow, you guys are rolling, right? Two hundred thousand men, you know, three thousand churches. And 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 it's true, you know, we we've done a lot, but the reality is that's nothing. There, there's seven billion men on this planet. Mm. And 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 they all need a definition. They all need a clear, concise pathway on how to be God's man. And and we call ourselves the on-ramp to manhood and masculinity. Like every man's got to play have a place to start. And we're 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 the start. Mm-hmm. We're the definition of what it means to be a man. And and it's going to take you into that deep discipleship and that deep manhood that that you want. We're not that, but we are the starting line. Mm-hmm. And uh we are where transformation begins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so we can't wait to just keep telling that message. Um, you know, my friend, Jonathan Pecluda always says, you know, you can't out strategize six men sitting around a fire. I mean, that's where, that's where change and transformation happens. And, yeah. and, and that's what better man is all about grabbing six to eight guys, man, coming together and doing yeah. this simple <laughs> study. We even put the answers in the back of the book, man. Like we get it. Yeah, we get it. Um, put this, do this simple study about what it means to be God's man so that you can launch to biblical manhood and masculinity. And we can't, we can't wait to see a million men go through better man and then 10 million and then a hundred million it's coming, bro. Uh, uh, we're shouting it from the top of mountains. Well, you know, they say the Bible says the harvest is many, but the laborers are few. And you know what? There's plenty out there for y'all to be filling your baskets. I know there's a lot of work to be done, but you're right. That's an attainable number. It sounds like it's beyond, but I'm glad you mentioned JP because man, I've been reaching out to that guy and I've been trying like crazy to get him on here. He's got that new book. That dude's crazy. He he's, I like him a lot. I'm glad you said, I almost mentioned his book earlier. The, uh, why do I do what I know? I can't, I can't remember the name of Why do I do what I know I'm not supposed to do basically. And so yeah, no, he's a dynamic dude. He's he's good. But uh, thanks for coming on here, man. It's been great to know you. Um, I, I feel like we've probably known each other for a little longer than an hour. I mean, it feels good. And it feels like it was a good conversation. You you uh, you never disappoint. Every time I hear you, man, it's just it's refreshing and it's encouraging. And so I appreciate getting to know you. Thanks for coming on here. Hey, audience. This has been great, and you're going to take notes, and you're going to have to re-listen to this again just like me, but he has been the Chris Harper. We've been last in line. Be blessed.